Welcome to BiPlus, podcasting for the BiPlus universe. I'm Elizabeth Meacham, here with my co-host, Mick Collins. Today, we welcome River McMicken of the Bisexual Resource Center to discuss BiPlus Health Awareness Month. Uh, could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is River McMicken. My pronouns are they and them. I am the president of the board of directors of the Bisexual Resource Center. Uh, I am a bit of a jack of all trades. I am a nonprofit communicator, a project manager, and a graphic designer. I have been deeply involved with LGBTQ plus and disability advocacy for years um, as a pansexual, transgender, and disabled person. I've dealt with a lot of discrimination and discomfort in my life, especially in healthcare settings. And that's really what drives me to do this work. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great place to be. Um, oh, yeah. Especially this month. Especially uh, for my health month. So tell us about the Bi Resource Center. Uh, sure. So the Bisexual Resource Center is the oldest nationally focused bi-specific organization in the U.S. Um, our mission is to help the bi-plus community thrive through resources, support, and celebration. And that's sort of our back-of-the-box mission statement. Uh, we are a volunteer organization. We're led by a volunteer working board of directors. So everyone on our board of directors helps do the work. We have one part-time staff member that is helping us out. Uh, we create educational materials. We lead trainings. We run support groups. We run social events. Um, we partner with other BiPlus and LGBTQ plus organizations to advocate for the needs of the bisexual plus community, both locally, nationally, and globally. So when did it start? Uh, the Bisexual Resource Center started in 1989. East Coast Bisexual Network. It started in 1985 as the East Coast Bisexual Network and later incorporated in 1989 as the Bisexual Resource Center. Okay. What is the history behind the Bi Plus Health Awareness Month? So as you may know, Bi Plus people make up more than half of the LGBTQ plus umbrella, but we report overall worse mental, physical, and emotional health than our lesbian, gay, or heterosexual peers, right? Yeah. So uh, we are less likely to be out in, in our communities, less likely to receive family and social support. We're at higher risk for depression, for anxiety, for abuse, for certain illnesses. Um, and many of these disparities are related to bi-antagonism, also called biphobia, and bi-erasure. So that isolates bi-plus people and it makes it a lot harder for us to find the support we need. So bi-plus Health Awareness Month was created as an annual campaign to bring attention and awareness to these health disparities and also to push for actions and resources that were needed to fix these disparities. And Bi-Plus Health, Bi Health Awareness Month uh, was started in 2014. So we are now on our 10th year of yeah. bi which wow. is so exciting. Uh, and over the last decade, we have forged hundreds of partnerships. We've created countless resources. I don't know how many events we've run. And we've reached literally millions of people through this campaign. Wow. That is amazing. Well, yeah, we've yeah. been, we've, I think this is our second or third year with you guys. Maybe our third year I, partnering. Partnering. I think it's the second or third year. Yeah. 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 And it's a, we certainly believe in it, you know, <laughs> or, oh, or yeah. behind you on that. Yeah. We are incredibly fortunate to have so many amazing community partners 
which are, you know, not just uh, bi plus organizations, but also broader LGBTQ plus organizations, broader health organizations. Mm -hmm. Health organizations are especially important because we want to be educating healthcare providers as well as bi plus community members and advocates. It's really important that we're getting the word out in as many different ways as possible and partnering with as many interested interesting people as possible. I've, I've just noticed uh, such a change in the community, you know, um, the last few years. Um, have you guys had a hard time keeping up with that? I think that the COVID epidemic and the quarantine um, presented an interesting opportunity for the BRC. On the one hand, it was very difficult for us to adjust to no longer being able to have in-person events. Yeah. On the other hand, the sudden abundance of online events and people staying home and looking for new things to do meant that we were able to reach sections of the community that we simply weren't able to reach before. Yeah. Um, our online events, we started having people show up who could never go to an in-person event. So we would have people you know, dialing in from all across the country, or we would have people globally, global advocates reaching out to us who hadn't reached out to us before. Yeah. So that in particular has been a challenge. And also it's been a, a really amazing opportunity. And I think added to that, the fact that bisexuality is so much more visible now, right? Like yeah. We have, yeah. have so much, it's so much more acceptable to be openly bisexual. We have, we have by celebrities, pan celebrities, more queer celebrities. People are actually saying the word bisexual in public and in interviews, which is like wild because 10 years ago that wasn't happening, right? Oh yeah. It was the B word. Yeah. <laughs> Say that. Or, or we don't like labels. Yeah. Yeah. I understand there are some people who who simply do not want to label their identities, and that's fine. And also you should be allowed to label it if you want to. Yeah, yeah. And there was just so much stigma that came with it for so yeah. long. It's not a dirty word. Yeah, and it's been it's been really incredible seeing the bi community sort of have a, a mainstream media moment over the last handful of years. And really, there's a lot of opportunity to build on that and really build bi community now that we have that visibility, now that we have that a uh, higher level of social acceptability. Yeah. Yeah. I just, for me, it's like when I was in college, it was a new word to me. I mean, new to me, but I was also young, <laughs> but it wasn't spoken all the time. You were gay or yeah. lesbian. It was the gay lesbian student association. It was gay lesbian resource center, things like that. Um, uh, and now it's like my the such the it was like it was starting to become a word and starting and then just fell back is the dirty word again so it's like just watching a birth you know it's kind like, of no it's not just you know and uh, uh my kids it's it's acceptable in a way it wasn't before and it it for them it doesn't mean they're having sex where yeah. when i was that age oh well that's a kink it was kind of classified as a kink well oh yeah you know, like yeah kinks. people any, any, I mean, bisex, bisexuality especially, but anywhere along, you know, the LGBT spectrum, 
immediately everyone in their head went to sex. And I think yeah. that's the other part of this visibility and this awareness is it is so much more than just popping into bed. And um, it's nice that people can actually think about these things without their heads immediately going to the sex part. Yeah. And for a long time, being gay and being lesbian was something you did, right? And and um, the act is what made it happen. You know, it's how you yeah. got labeled. It was a verb. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and it's, it hasn't been like that for a while now, but um, we're finally getting to that point where it's not a verb anymore. And yeah. it's, it's just, we can I, identify like that and not have people go, okay, so have you slept with women? Are you sure? <laughs> how do you know? Yeah. Well, how do you know you were straight before you slept with anybody? Well, I just did. Exactly. And I'm not having to do that dance anymore, which is so nice. Um, very nice. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I may be dating myself a little bit here, but I also came of age at a point where we had a gay straight alliance mm-hmm. school yeah. and where my uh, early attempts to get involved in LGBTQ, what we would now call LGBTQ advocacy mm-hmm. when I was like 18, 19 years old. I felt really driven out of those spaces because I was bisexual mm-hmm. in part because of what you described, right? It was this idea that bisexuality is a thing you do. And if you do not do it in a certain way, you are not uh, a valid bisexual. And even if you're a valid bisexual at that point, you still weren't a valid part of the broader what was then the gay rights movement. Right. There was a lot of room yeah. for bi plus people in activism at that point or in advocacy. And yeah. that actually really pushed me out of advocacy work for a very long time and out of activism. For a lot of time, I felt like there wasn't room for me in LGBTQ plus advocacy generally. I didn't think that I had a lot to offer them and I didn't think that they necessarily wanted me there. So... For me, I'm not saying I joined the BRC as a board member out of spite, but I am fueled a tiny, tiny bit <laughs> that feeling of being left out. That, yeah. that also drives my advocacy is like, I felt left out of a really powerful movement for LGBTQ rights. And because I felt left out, I don't want anyone else to feel like that again. I'm now at a point in my life where I can kick in a door and say, I'm, you know, I'm pansexual. I, I belong here. And all of these other people belong in this space too. And that is, it's just such a powerful thing to even be able to do these days. Yeah. Uh, Certainly. Yeah. I mean, you'd be able to turn that, that little bit of spite into something so positive. I mean, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, and there's a lot of years to reach this point. <laughs> a lot <laughs> right. of years and a lot of therapy. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. It's hard to find therapy, isn't it? <laughs> and it still is. I've almost given up in my area because I, I've just um the trauma that goes along with it. a bad therapist can, is just and for so long it's like like one therapist I saw is like, oh, well, how does your husband? deal with you sleeping with women okay you've jumped like this huge step in logic <laughs> here and it's and you've missed something like having to go through the whole dance of explaining what bisexuality is to a person who should know and actually had on their um 
website listed LGBTQ uh, and started with um, started with bisexual. So I thought they knew and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm having to explain this again. I'm done. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll say that one of the things that um, actually was, I think my first step into the advocacy work that I do now happened several years ago when I was working, I was doing administrative work for a psychiatrist in private practice. And this psychiatrist worked with LGBTQ clients. And there was a point where she was working with psychiatry residents at a teaching hospital, mm -hmm. was preparing to sort of teach them how to deal, I say deal with uh, trans clients. Essentially, how do you care for trans clients? How do you address their needs? And she had asked me because I had been through the trans gatekeeping song and dance number of trying to find a supportive therapist and finding a very unsupportive therapist and mm -hmm. then waiting list for a truly supportive therapist only to get my insurance denied. And so, um, so talking with her about that and then talking with her psychiatry residents about how how, for instance, our identities impact our care, how mm -hmm. aggressions can put a, push us away from care. That was what really got me thinking about this intersection of identity and healthcare in a really personal way. This question of, if you're transgender, you require a slightly different kind of care than if you're cisgender. If you're bisexual, then you require a slightly different kind of care than if you're heterosexual or gay or lesbian. What does that mean to a client, to the patient receiving care? And what does that mean for the person who is providing care? And how do we create communities? How do we create resources that help facilitate this kind of care? Um, so Vibe Plus you know, Health Awareness Month has become very, very near and dear to my heart because it encompasses all of these things that I've been involved in and working towards these questions of health equity, these questions of practical answers to these very difficult questions about providing care. Um, and I also like to imagine that someday I will meet a new therapist and I will not have to explain myself quite as thoroughly as I've had to in the past. That's the dream. Yeah. <laughs> That's We're the dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are questions we've always been been asking but it seems like more and more people are actually willing to give serious answers to them instead of just dismissing them or, or trying to come up with reasons why you know it's quote unquote wrong so you know stuff like the health awareness month um it's it's definitely bringing more visibility um and opening up these conversations which is which is really great um, and speaking of which, this year's uh, Bisexual Health Awareness Month theme is Beyond Visibility. Uh, what ways are the Bisexual Resource Centers celebrating this? This year we can Beyond Visibility to really recognize that while we've made all these incredible strides with BiPlus visibility in the mainstream, there's still a lot of work to be done, right? Visibility is just one step to our path, you know, on our path of ensuring better care, uh, more inclusive resources, healthier community spaces for BiPlus people. 
um, exactly some of these questions you were just asking. Like, we want to get people thinking, what are the next steps? What are the tools? What are the resources and opportunities that the BiPlus community needs? How do we get beyond visibility and towards true BiPlus health equity? Like, what does the BiPlus community look like when we are healthy and we are empowered and we are truly beyond visibility and into equity? Um, and, you know, there's a lot to do around that. And we are doing so much and we are doing so much with our partners that I am going to forget something if I try to list everything. Yeah. Oh, some of the things I'm really excited about. We have a full calendar of online events. This includes our first BiPlus chronic illness social space for BiPlus people who are living with chronic illness, chronic pain, or disability. And we know that within the LGBTQ community generally and the BiPlus community, there is a higher rate of disability than there is in the broader heterosexual or larger mainstream community. So these kinds of spaces where people can just get together without pressure, uh, mm -hmm. these social spaces where you can just be in community with people who understand. That is so, so meaningful and so helpful for community health. Um, we are updating some resources that we've had kicking around for a while. We are releasing new resources, new educational materials and new blog posts that will be coming out throughout the month. Some of these are related to topics like reproductive health care, which has been in the news an awful lot lately. And <laughs> is a BiPlus health issue and impacts BiPlus people. Very important to, uh, to stay current and to understand how all of these things impact the BiPlus community. Um, other things we're doing, uh, we're doing interviews with BiPlus authors. We have a fantastic BiPlus book list that we are doing in partnership with the BiPan Library that is centering the experience of uh, BIPOC and disabled by people. Mm -hmm. So maybe some books that you haven't read before. We've got fiction, nonfiction, memoirs, you name it. Nice. It's, you can never have too many books or too much media written by and featuring by plus people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's wild. You know, you get together in like a social space and you start thinking about like the last good by plus book you read and you're like, have I read one? I think so. <laughs> yeah. so. There's something great about these media lists where it's all like grouped together for yeah. you. You can find something that that matches your interests. Yeah, we had we had um, the Bipan Library. We had them on. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. The work Bren does is just phenomenal. So, yeah, um, Bren is fantastic. Yeah, um, and the the book lists are awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else. Um, Behind the scenes, we've been working with other BiPlus organizations to make BiPlus healthcare a federal priority through oh. coalition work with BiPlus Organizing US. This is a project that is just uh, that came out of a meeting with the White House that happened last September and that is building into a movement to engage the Biden administration towards creating actual benchmarks for BiPlus healthcare nationally at the federal level. So forcing the federal government to acknowledge that BiPlus health needs are, are different and yeah. that there are BiPlus health inequities and something needs to be done to address that. And asking them very clearly, 
to do so and to address it and to be accountable for that um, on a nationwide level. And then our, honestly, the most exciting thing for me and our, I think our probably our biggest project this year has been updating our website. So we have buyhealthmonth.org and this past year we have updated it. It is completely redesigned to be a year-round health resource for BIPLOS people and for healthcare providers, for anyone who is looking for research, resources, or more information about BIPLOS health. Um, it has all kinds of things, all of these community events, all the stuff that I've mentioned, the book lists, all the other stuff that we're doing this year, that's all featured on it. We'll be updating it year round. It should be, fingers crossed, a one-stop shop for this kind of content in the future. These materials aren't just BRC materials, they're also materials created by our partners, uh, by our community members, um, all of the, hopefully all of the BiPlus health resource research that you could possibly want. That's cool. Yeah, I noticed that the web cool. website was being updated. Um, yeah. yeah. It's much prettier now too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's more it's streamlined like, and easier to read. And right? Yeah, I, yeah. I enjoy it. Um, What's the website again? The website is buyhealthmonth.org. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, is there a website for the group, um, disabled group, disability, people with disabilities and chronic um, pain? Um, so that is, for right now, a singular meetup. Okay. We are doing it as a sort of exploratory, let's see if people want this. Okay. Actually, that's unfair. We know people want it. Yeah, we want it. So it's, <laughs> yeah. but it's coming. You're, you're saying you're working on it. It's coming. It will yeah, happen. We're, it's happening now. We are working on building um, additional spaces for okay. for disabled members of the BiPlus community, people who are disabled, dealing with chronic illness, chronic pain, and so on. Um, there and there are there are a ton of us. So, um, how can individuals, uh, people participate in in this? Uh, yeah, by, I mean this year's Bi Health Month. The easiest way to participate in Bi Health Month is honestly just to talk about it. You know, talk to your friends, uh, post about it on social media, let your doctor know, let your therapist know, let them know the resources are out there to help care for BiPlus people. Um, for anyone who is involved with, who volunteers for, or who works with an LGBTQ plus organization, encouraging that organization to partner with the BRC or to get involved with BiPlus Health Month in some way to create new resources for the BiPlus community, to run BiPlus community events. That's another way you can get involved. For folks who wanna maybe dig a little deeper, um, all Bi organizations are volunteer run. As yeah. far as aware, there is no singular full-time staff member anywhere on the globe that is just focused on BiPlus organizing or BiPlus community needs. Mm -hmm. So, please volunteer, uh, yeah. find your local organization, find your local community, help build community. Um, and honestly with that, like show up at a community event, come and hang out with us. Uh, community connection is so, so critical to buy plus people's mental health and well-being. It's really, a lot of our health problems are related to isolation. A lot of them are related to 
by erasure and to by antagonism and to feeling like we don't fit in. That's that's a lot of strain and isolation. So break through that. Go to a online or in-person by plus community event. If there aren't any, start your own or bug your local LGBTQ plus org to set something up for you. Um, and honestly, like I think it probably sounds cheesy, but most importantly, uh, by plus community health starts at the individual level. So take care of yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, definitely. Everyone, you know, anyone who is bi, pan, fluid, MSpec, queer, et cetera, like just like take a few minutes and do something that makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our advocacy, in our activism, in these disparities that we might forget to just take a few moments and and take care of ourselves. And I think we deserve a few minutes. Yeah, right? <laughs> definitely. And it's easy for us to really forget our own health because whether it's just not even being busy, but a lot of the external pressures internalized, maybe by phobias or just, you know, general crappiness going on inside and out, it's easy for us to forget. And I know I do too. And, and I'm finding out that taking care of myself is just as important as taking care of other people and resources like this are uh, really wonderful to have now. Yeah. yeah. You're worth it. You really are. You know, I, I even think of like things like brushing my teeth and minding my oral health as self-care. Because if you're not going to take care of the basics, you're not going to take care of the big things and any little thing you can do to, to keep yourself healthy. Um, is, For a long time, my, my mantra has been to do what I can when I can, because yep. I have lived with uh, chronic illness and disability my entire adult life. And there are some days when you, you just can't, you, you can't mm -hmm. do everything you want to do you can't some days you can't even do what you need to do but if you do what you can when you can then you can say hey i'm taking care of myself a little bit every single day i'm making my life a little bit better for myself every single day and that helps yep and sometimes that's all that gets done is my teeth get brushed <laughs> but it's the okay. one thing and i'm so glad you yep. said that because there is this feeling of guilt it comes with not getting every little thing that you had planned, you know, before you got out of bed or the night before or whenever. And, and, uh, you, sometimes you just don't hit those marks and you, yeah. sometimes it is just enough that I get up and I, you know, use the bathroom and brush my teeth, you know? So uh, a, a win is a win. And, you know, if you got one win for the day, you might as well celebrate it. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. The little things you can do to make yourself feel human sometimes is a lot looks like we are about finished or is there anything you wanted to add to this that maybe wasn't in our um questions that we haven't asked oh i don't know yeah i need to remember sometimes that i'm from new england and i speak very quickly oh yeah well that's where i learned to talk so i think it's well, that's where i'm living so yeah no worries <laughs> no but yeah i learned to speak up in um new england rhode island and uh that's um, oh, you're you are a Rhode Islander? No, I'm not anymore. I was my dad was stationed at Newport when I was very young, and that's where we were when I was at the age where I'm learning to speak. 
<laughs> so we moved all over. I'm a military brat, but. Uh, my mother was military. Yeah. Another one of those uh, sort of overlooked. I've, I've been thinking about this a mm -hmm. lot. You come from yeah. a military family. That's another sort of overlooked bi-plus population, right? There's a huge number of bi-plus people who are involved in the military. Um, I was looking at some VA resources recently, and uh, the statistics are a little fuzzy because, of course, they're making estimates based on the percentage of people who have disclosed identities. And there's mm -hmm. a reason for people in the military to not disclose you know, by oh, yeah. ATQ identities generally, whatever. Um, but essentially, it looks like, based on VA information, lesbian and bisexual women are significantly represented in the U.S. military and disproportion are very disproportionate portion of the uh, of women in the military, mm -hmm. and yet again like a lot of bi health topics we're not like we don't have research we don't have research right we uh -uh. what additional uh you know what additional risks do they hold for being in the military what how how does their identity impact their service what kind of discrimination are they experiencing or isolation um so that's another underserved population that i you know I think we need to bring a little bit of attention to when we can. Yeah, I think oh, yeah, there was um, the All of Us Project out of, I think it's out of Stanford uh, for it's All of Us Healthcare. Um, uh, it's kind of like surveys and you go in and you um, encourage everybody to do it. It's kind of a, a basically creates a life, a long-term research pool of people who are LGBTQ and now they're, um, working on getting veterans in. I think there was a study that they've done recently that somebody used the the data from that um, on veterans and I haven't read it, but it's just now becoming, oh, we should look at these populations, especially the intersection of that. It's, I, I think it's a testament to the impact of the work that bi community advocates have been doing that we are now actually being counted yeah as yeah. a separate population for some of these research studies and that our needs are being more clearly recorded more clearly um analyzed and enumerated that we actually can say this is you know how many people in a population might be bisexual or might identify as bisexual versus identifying as lesbian or as gay mm -hmm. That's really incredible, right? Because one of the issues that we see with older research for the LGBTQ community is eh, it's an umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. People just kind of go, I don't know, who are you dating right now? Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's what you do, not who you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of getting lumped in as an after effect. Yeah. Yeah. And we still see that. I mean, that's still an ongoing issue, especially with like healthcare providers who make assumptions about their patients based on who their patient might be partnered with, based on what sexual activities that patient mm -hmm. might close in an interview. Um, there's a lot of work to do with yeah. teaching people how to capture this data. But the fact that that work is even happening is, is something to be celebrated. And yeah. it's 
a testament to all the work that people have put into these conversations already. Yeah, I've noticed that's starting to change the medical community here. But it's incredible how long it's it's taken to get to that point where they're even asking sexuality. And then that I still feel like with medicine, they I'm like, why should I say anything? Because they're not going to they're still going to mark heterosexual without even asking me, by the way. Um, you know, so I'm like, OK, fine, you know, because they're not going to want it. They, they're not looking at me, my psychology. They're looking at just the body as a as a piece of equipment. So. It's and it's very complicated. Um, identity impacts how we interact with other people in the world, how other people interact with us. It inter, you know, it, it causes strain. Yeah. It causes um, psychological pressures. And this can very easily become a physical problem. It can become a physical illness. Yeah. Uh, thinking about migraines, for instance, stress migraines are a very, very real thing. If someone's really, really stressed out a whole lot of the time, say, because they feel really isolated and they don't feel like anyone supports them because they're bisexual, mm -hmm. that person is going to have migraine attacks and physical yeah. uh, symptoms as a result of that psychological and mental pressure. And so I think it's, it's complicated, right? It's complicated to take a patient history. It's complicated to talk to people and try to tease out which of their problems could be related to these, uh, to these social factors or these identity factors. And there's not always a clear answer, right? Like right. some the bi-plus community in general might have poor health outcomes compared to lesbian, gay, or heterosexual people. But any given bi-plus person might be doing hunky-dory. They might be doing great. And so that makes it even more complicated. It yeah. becomes, uh, there's, there's a strong need for very holistic patient-centered care that takes into account not just what a patient is doing, but also what impact that has on them, what identities they carry, how those identities are expressed. Do they have social support? Do they have family support? And this is, I think, especially true for, for youth, for women, for BIPOC, um, also our elderly population, right? Like BIPLUS elders just get sort of generally ignored by yes. a lot of people. Yeah. And quick shout out here to Sage, who has been a an ongoing BRC partner for a very long time and yeah. who has really made the effort to be bi-inclusive in their services where they can be. Um, yeah, that was our last that was our last episode. <laughs> was was it Sage? Yeah, they're oh yeah, yeah. Project. yeah. Yeah, they are they they're on my good list. I, yes. I like Sage. They do good work. Um, yeah, they were in the news recent last week too. I think I posted something on our Facebook page, if anybody wants to look at it, um, a woman who's starting a New York area, I believe it's in New York, um, home for uh, LGBT elders. But yeah, yeah, we had that whole conversation because I was like, I 52. No, how old am I? I'm 51. I'm putting more time on than I. Okay, 51. And the attitude has shifted in the community. And it's, it's just not as available anymore. So. It's also really tough because, you know, we were talking earlier about how 
we have this youth movement and our youth are very comfortable identifying as biplos, as pan, as omnisexual, as polysexual. They're very comfortable identifying as non-monosexual when compared to especially like some of our older bi plus population right Um, so we know that there are statistically very likely a whole lot more bi plus people above say 40 than Mm. we're on any of these surveys simply because they're they're not using the term they're not identifying themselves or they're saying things to themselves like what does it matter if i'm bisexual i'm married and they sort of exclude themselves from the count. And I would really encourage anyone who is bi plus, who is anywhere underneath the bi plus umbrella to, to claim that, to, to take on that label or whatever label underneath the bi plus umbrella works for you. We've we got a lot of them. We've got, mm-hmm. you can be heteroflexible, you can be homoflexible, you can be M-spec. We have all kinds of great ways to describe attraction and experience. Um, and I really encourage people to find what feels right to them and claim it because it might feel like maybe it doesn't matter if if you're married and you're bisexual, what does it matter? But really it does, like just having that having that term for your experience can be uh, just like a really personally freeing moment. And it connects you to this bigger, broader bisexual plus community to an entire culture. Bi plus culture is is really rich. There's, you know, all of these incredible celebrity advocates who generally get called gay or lesbian, but who are actually, you know, I'm yeah. I'm gonna claim them for the for the bisexuals because that's how they identify. Or um, or or straight. Lady Gaga has identified themselves as bisexual. Yeah. No. Yeah, hundred percent. She's an that's, ally. No, no, she's not. She's. <laughs> that's so, the yeah. force of bi erasure, right there. Mm-hmm. Right there. Yeah. I gotta be honest. I am sick of other people erasing me. I am. I am not also going to erase myself yeah. by yeah. refusing to take on a a label that suits me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Uh, for being here. River McMicken, thanks for joining us. Um, Thanks as well to my wonderful co-host, Mick Collins. I'm Elizabeth Meacham. Remember, there is a whole Bi Plus universe ready to embrace you. Reach out and find your community.